The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. March 30th, 2017. Thank you very much for listening and for shopping through my Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. Since last we met, more than 24 million Americans found out they get to keep their health insurance and won't lose it after all. In the words of House Speaker Paul Ryan on the day of defeat, Obamacare is the law of the land. After seven years of threats and promises and rehearsals to repeal the Affordable Care Act and replace it with a conservative plan, the Republican Congress failed miserably at both. After campaigning for months on a promise to repeal Obamacare on his first day in office and replace it with something great, Trump has failed just as miserably. Do not underestimate the power of the stories that lawmakers heard from their constituents about how they or a loved one would die if they didn't get to keep insurance that allows for pre-existing conditions. Do not underestimate the people who showed up at their representatives' offices and demonstrated and carried signs and wrote emails and letters and signed petitions and spoke so passionately about their desire to keep Obamacare. In the end, every Democrat in the House voted against repeal and replace, and 41 Republicans voted against it in a House where Republicans have a 44-seat advantage. But about 40 of those representatives are of the Tea Party, now calling themselves the Freedom Caucus. These far-right conservatives don't like House Speaker Paul Ryan at all. They take no prisoners when it comes to pursuing their far-right policies. So the Republican Party is divided and teetering on civil war, while Democrats appear united in their efforts to freeze the moves of a president under investigation for colluding with Russia. That includes the lifetime appointment of a conservative Supreme Court justice, a nomination for which Mitch McConnell says the Senate will vote on April 7th. Democrats have already managed to delay for a week the first vote on Judge Neil Gorsuch, and they say they'll filibuster this nomination, and it doesn't appear Republicans have the votes to stop that filibuster, perhaps another failure for Trump after a campaign that promised we'd all get tired of winning. So here we are. After years of attempts and months of promises, Trump and the Republicans whiffed what everyone thought was a sure thing, repealing Obamacare. The failure makes this new president and this Congress appear weak and vulnerable, and it raises questions about what, if anything, they can accomplish in the future, even with control of the House, Senate, and White House. The White House blamed conservatives and Democrats for the death of repeal and replace, but Trump says he'll try to work with Democrats in the future since he doesn't have the loyalty of those far-right lawmakers. And Trump said it's time to let Obamacare implode on its own, despite a Congressional Budget Office report that says it should be good for another 10 years. Days later, Trump said there will be a new effort on health care, and Democrats, despite the insults from Trump, say they would work with him and the Republicans on that if they all start by promising to keep Obamacare and to improve it instead of replacing it. Paul Ryan wants to go a different way. He still wants to repeal Obamacare and replace it with a Republican plan he says is being reworked. But earlier in the week, Trump had also said it's time to move on to the next issue, an overhaul of our tax laws, something that hasn't been done in 30 years. But Trump moves forward with that issue and his Supreme Court pick after having lost at his first two attempts at being a leader. His Muslim ban was struck down. His repeal and replace promise is just a memory now. And other Trump policies are being challenged in court. 
Trump's top priorities, the things he got to first, have both gone down in flames. And it all happens with him and his people under watch for their Russia connections. Now we know what it meant when FBI Director Comey said his counterintelligence division was investigating links between Russia and the Trump campaign. Now we know what the top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee meant when he said the evidence he's seen on that is more than circumstantial. Government officials have told CNN that the FBI has information that Trump associates communicated with Russian operatives, possibly to signal the timing on the release of stolen documents to undermine Hillary Clinton. As timelined and documented here before, the timing of those releases was often remarkable. An hour after Trump's crotch-grabbing audio dropped, for example, and just days before the start of the Democratic convention. But as White House spokesman Sean Spicer pointed out, investigating it and having proof are two different things. The FBI still doesn't appear to have the proof, but counterintelligence investigations generally do take time. For now, the FBI continues to investigate Trump associates Mike Flynn, Paul Manafort, Roger Stone, and Carter Page for contacting Russian operatives who are quite well known to U.S. intelligence. Manafort, Stone, and now Jared Kushner have volunteered to testify for the House and Senate Intelligence Committee investigations into the Trump-Russia connection. Stone says he's doing it to clear his name, and he has his work cut out since he was in touch with both WikiLeaks, which published most of the Clinton emails, and with the Russian hacker who published the rest. Manafort was the first to volunteer to testify right after he hired a PR firm that specializes in crisis management. Kushner is Trump's son-in-law and White House advisor, among other duties to be outlined in a moment. But the head of the House Intelligence Committee appears to be running interference for Trump after seeing the same evidence the committee's top-ranking Democratic member reported seeing, the evidence that's more than circumstantial. Chairman Devin Nunes then postponed indefinitely a hearing set for earlier this week. That hearing would have heard from former National Intelligence Director James Clapper, current NSA head Mike Rogers, former CIA Director John Brennan, and Sally Yates, the acting attorney general fired by Trump after she ordered U.S. attorneys not to enforce his first Muslim ban, and after she blew the whistle about Mike Flynn's Russia connection and the lies he had told about it. Lies the White House kept under wraps for three weeks as Flynn continued giving Trump his daily national security briefings. Sally Yates would have been given a forum to comment on all of this for the first time in public, and there's clear evidence she was ready to contradict some Trump administration claims about Mike Flynn, what the White House knew, and when. Thanks to the Washington Post, we now know that the White House has moved to block Yates' testimony, claiming presidential privilege. So Sally Yates is being pressured not to talk at the hearing that's been postponed indefinitely. For as long as anyone can remember, politics was kept out of Intelligence Committee hearings. But Chairman Nunes admits it was politics that drove him to take evidence to Trump before taking it to his own committee. Nunes, who worked on the Trump campaign and the transition, says he felt a duty to tip off Trump because of the Democrats' political attacks. Nunes called those attacks relentless. It's about the politics of this, said Nunes. He said he needed to get to Trump before ranking committee Democrat Adam Schiff saw this new evidence. And now we know that Nunes visited the White House grounds in the dark of night to get the information he withheld from his colleagues, taking it first to Trump and then to the media. Now Nunes won't say with whom he met or even who authorized his admittance to the White House grounds. 
The White House, even though it has access to the Daily Visitor log, says it doesn't quite have that information ready either after days of questions by reporters. The vice chairman of the Senate's Intelligence Committee, Mark Warner, calls that meeting more than suspicious, adding, who is he meeting with? Was it a source, asked Warner, or somebody from the administration? Nunes says he will not reveal his source for his claim that U.S. surveillance netted information on and outed members of the Trump team. Warner has called on Nunes to recuse himself from the case, so so have Senators Chuck Schumer and Representatives Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi, quoting Nunes, why would I? Without impartiality, the House investigation cannot go forward with any credibility. That's why no source wants to give the investigation any leads now, knowing that Nunes may well again run to Trump to tip him off. There have been calls for House Speaker Paul Ryan to replace, at least for now, Mr. Nunes as chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, something a speaker has the authority to do. Even a few Republicans are having doubts about Nunes. North Carolina's Walter Jones has also called on Nunes to recuse himself. Republican Senator Lindsey Graham calls the House investigation an Inspector Clouseau investigation and also bizarre. Pennsylvania's Charlie Dent, another Republican, has given up on the House investigation and says it's now up to the Senate to get this right. And that could happen since the Republican chairman of that committee has promised to see this investigation through despite his own political leanings. In the Senate committee hearings that began this morning, there are over 20 witnesses and thousands of pages of documents and word that Russia hired 1,000 hackers to troll the Clinton campaign and to promote Trump. But the party leader in the House, Paul Ryan, said he has confidence in Nunes, confidence in the Trump campaigner who's now postponed indefinitely any further House hearings into Trump-Russia. There have, of course, also been calls for a more independent investigation, a special prosecutor. That doesn't seem likely, since it would take a bill passed by Congress and signed by the president. And then there's the problem of the disappearing evidence. NBC's Andrea Mitchell reported from credible sources that members of the Trump transition team had begun purging their phones and laptops despite orders not to delete any records. And while they cover their tracks, Mike Flynn has made tracks out of the spotlight. He's laying low, and he has not volunteered to testify. And there are multiple signs that the Trump administration is about to try to put entire blame for the Russia connection on General Flynn. And now we're hearing from former CIA Director James Woolsey that Flynn had a meeting at a Trump hotel with Turkish officials in which they discussed a plan to kidnap a Turk living in the U.S., to get around U.S. extradition laws. We already knew Flynn was secretly being paid a half million dollars by Turkey to represent its interest at the same time he was working for the Trump campaign, and we know that Turkey is an ally of Russia. The president's son-in-law has a new job. In addition to being a senior advisor to Ivanka's dad, he'll now run the new Office of Government Innovation while wife Ivanka becomes an advisor to the president, complete with security clearance despite her vow to stay out of the administration. She'll be an official federal employee, but without a salary. That does make her subject to the same ethics rules as other government workers. We're told that Jared, at age 36, with no government experience and a resume limited to inheriting his father's business, will reorganize all executive branch agencies to make them more businessy and less governmenty. The business model, you'll recall, is most responsive to customers with the most money to spend, unlike government, which is tasked with responding to the entire country. 
That aside, Jared's job is to trim the fat and change the mentality. That should keep him busy, since Trump has also put Jared in charge of Middle East peace, China, Mexico, Canada, foreign trade, building the wall, launching the infrastructure projects, overseeing broadband communications rules, and tackling the country's opioid epidemic, although he is getting some help on that from Chris Christie, who has a second job as governor of New Jersey. Christie's appointment came on the same day two of his top aides were sentenced to prison for their part in Christie's Bridgegate scandal. Jared's also been asked by Trump to reinvent the Veterans Administration, possibly by putting it into the hands of private enterprise. We would hire somebody to take care of our vets. So Jared Kushner wears all of these hats as he answers to his father-in-law. And we now know that during the transition, Jared met with the head of a Russian bank while that bank was under U.S. sanctions over Ukraine, while that bank was under federal investigation here in the U.S., an investigation now in jeopardy since Trump's firing of the prosecutor in that case. We also know this banker, Gorkov, got his job at the Russian bank thanks to being placed there personally by Vladimir Putin. The White House confirms that Jared met Sergei Gorkov, but has no further comment. Jared Kushner is also due to testify before the Senate Intelligence Committee on a date yet to be announced. But considering this new revelation that Kushner met with the head of a sanctioned Russian bank may make that date sooner rather than later. We've just learned it because Kushner never bothered to mention it. He kept it quiet. That seems to be a pattern for Trump officials who were in contact with Russia not to be forthcoming about those contacts. It's why National Security Advisor Mike Flynn had to resign. It's why Attorney General Jeff Sessions was forced to recuse himself from the investigation into the Russia connection. Jared Kushner, meanwhile, remains on the job, all of those jobs, and the revelations just keep coming. Even when it looks easy because of the freakish number of Trump officials in touch with Russia, going after the Trump associates who did just that is thick with obstacles. We know that former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort was paid at least $10 million to promote Russia's interests in the U.S. and elsewhere. We know that Manafort is being investigated by the U.S. Treasury about his foreign bank accounts, including his transactions at the Bank of Cyprus, where Russian oligarchs and others launder their dirty money. Cyprus is trying to crack down on the money laundering for which it became famous. It asked Manafort to explain the million dollars that went in and out of one of his accounts in a single day, a typical money launderer's move. Instead of answering the bank's questions about that and other odd transactions, Manafort simply closed his accounts at that bank, all of his accounts for all of the 10 offshore companies he'd set up there. We now know that some of Manafort's tens of millions of dollars in that bank had come from yet another Russian oligarch. And now the government of Cyprus has turned over to the U.S. Treasury Department investigators a list of Manafort's transactions. We know that a Turkish banker was arrested in New York on Tuesday for funneling money to Iran, which is a violation of the U.S. sanctions against Iran. We know that Trump's temporary national security advisor Mike Flynn was secretly paid by Turkey during the presidential campaign. The question is, where does the investigation go from here? Trump's Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross is a major stakeholder in another bank that specializes in laundering Russian money and other shady behavior, the Deutsche Bank. The Justice Department was in the midst of going after Deutsche Bank for money laundering and a host of other crimes. 
until Trump fired that lead prosecutor who was investigating the Turkish banker. That prosecutor, Preet Bharara, was also investigating Trump's health secretary, Tom Price, for making investments and then pushing through legislation that made his investments grow. Mr. Bharara was also investigating a Russian granite monopoly in which a Russian granite company was being represented by the same lawyer who's repeatedly represented Trump in court, whether defending him against sexual harassment charges or going after Trump's enemies. Trump's friend Rudy Giuliani is representing one of the defendants in that Turkish bank funneling money to Iran case. Again, a case being pursued by that fired prosecutor, Preet Bharara. The dots are not only connecting, they're filling the page. Several senators have asked for answers from the White House. Why was Preet Bharara fired? And a litany of other questions. And they've asked the White House to respond to those questions by Monday. In the meantime, Mr. Barrara's firing means Trump's Attorney General Jeff Sessions now controls all of these investigations, and a Maryland senator's urging Sessions to step aside from the Deutsche Bank investigation, just as he was forced to do with the FBI's Russia investigation, because Sessions had also met with the Russians. Maryland Senator Chris Van Hollen is urging Sessions to recuse himself from the Deutsche Bank investigation. Van Hollen has also asked Sessions a few pointed questions, including whether the firing of that U.S. attorney had anything to do with what he'd been prosecuting. Trump, you see, owes Deutsche Bank $300 million. Deutsche Bank is his biggest creditor. One of the bank's other clients is the Russian oligarch who overpaid for a Trump house in Florida in a sale that netted Trump $60 million at a time he owed nearly that much to Deutsche Bank. Almost immediately after his health care defeat, Trump announced that the Keystone XL Pipeline project would go forward. The State Department expected to sign off on the oil pipeline this week. The Obama administration had blocked the project for environmental reasons, but Trump is focused on jobs and promoting the fossil fuel industry at any cost. That includes drilling for oil on federal lands. And for the first time ever, a majority of Americans oppose that. It's a slim majority, but 53% of us oppose drill baby drilling on public land. That's quite a turnaround from five years ago when nearly two in three of us favored drilling on federal land. What changed? Gas prices. When prices were four bucks a gallon, Americans favored any means necessary to get them back down, even if it meant drilling in federal parks. With prices below 250 now, people seem more concerned about nature. With good reason, the number of people who worried about the availability of energy has dropped to an all-time low. A new poll shows that 50% of Americans now take global warming very seriously. Half of us describe ourselves as concerned believers. That's nearly double the number of converts from two years ago. And it's what statisticians call a plurality. Not quite a majority of us believe in climate change, but the number of people in that group is greater than the number of people in any other group. 31% of us are in what Gallup calls the mixed middle, believing about half of what we've heard about climate change. That number has shrunk, as has the number of those who call themselves cool skeptics. That number has dropped from 28% last year to 19% today. We're down to just one in five Americans who don't believe in climate change. Still, a new report says the rising sea level could erode many of the wonderful beaches of Southern California. The report says more than half those beaches could be gone by the year 2100. Another report says the planet's polar caps are smaller than they have ever been as they continue to melt 
and continue to raise that sea level. Oh, and a footnote about the collapse of Trump's Muslim ban. A federal judge in Virginia has upheld Trump's second attempt at a ban, which paves the way for this disputed issue to go to the U.S. Supreme Court, a court that Trump hopes will tilt his way. The U.S. Marshals Service, meanwhile, is providing round-the-clock protection to the federal judge in Hawaii, who was the first of two judges to strike down Trump's second Muslim ban. Despite the threats, that judge has now extended his ban. And for now, Trump's ban, for the most part, doesn't exist. Trump's Wall Street honeymoon is on shaky ground, and his approval numbers are down, even as he presses ahead with his agenda. All that and more after this. With everything that's going on, it's easy to forget stuff, including birthdays and anniversaries. Was it your sister this time? Your mom? Your spouse? With ProFlowers.com, you can schedule their gift ahead of time, any date you wish, and get back to your life. It's a special gift of beauty right to their door without costing a fortune. And with ProFlowers, it's always a perfect gift, guaranteed fresh for seven days or your money back, and they are not kidding. I've used ProFlowers time and again, really, and they never let me or her down. She's always delighted when that box from ProFlowers arrives at her door. And right now, because you listen to this report, you can save 10 bucks on any order of $29 or more if you enter the code REALM when you check out at ProFlowers.com. Flowers for as little as 19 bucks when you use the checkout code R-E-L-M. But that $10 off also applies to a range of flowers and plants, including a dozen red roses or their famous 100 Blooms bouquet. And if you do forget a birthday or anniversary or forget just about anything, say I'm sorry and save 10 bucks and power this show with the code R-E-L-M at ProFlowers.com. Thank you for using my sponsors and for supporting this free news through the PayPal button at BuzzBurbank.com. Wall Street investors were ecstatic over the election of Trump and a Republican trifecta, the party controlling the House, the Senate, and the White House. Investors, like Republicans in Congress, could finally live the dream of eliminating those annoying government regulations that protect health and safety and cut into profits. The mouth-watering prospect of even greater profits for corporations gave them confidence in the future of our economy. The stock market soared to amazing heights to over 20000 for the first time ever, and Trump bragged about it. But over the past week, Wall Street had its worst week since before the election. The Dow stayed above 20,000 but lost 250 points on the week after Trump and the Republicans failed to agree on that new health care program. Confidence was shaken. Like many Americans, investors asked themselves if Trump and the Republicans can't even manage what seemed like a no-brainer, what hope have we for anything else? Even the Republican infighting that led up to the health care failure had investors nervous, and stocks began to slip even before the vote. Investors are apparently not alone in having their confidence shaken. The Gallup Poll's Economic Confidence Index says the country's confidence level now is at its lowest point in Trump's accelerated presidency and less than half of what it was when he took office. Trump's honeymoon with Wall Street is over, for now, and it's fading even among Republican voters whose confidence has fallen by 10 points since that hopeful day on January 20th. It was a weekend of more protests, citizens taking to the streets, unhappy with their leader. And that was just in Russia. 
Vladimir Putin is winning in America with the defeat of a candidate he hated intensely and the election of one who's now slashing the budget at the State Department, which Putin also hates, and a president who'd have the chutzpah to criticize NATO. But Putin is losing his footing in Russia. Over the weekend across Russia, there were 60,000 protesters in the streets in dozens of cities. It may have been the biggest protest there since the Russian Revolution in 1917. They were protesting corruption, specifically Putin's lavish rewards for his friends who also, thanks to him, run Russian government agencies. Even those with modest departments and modest salaries have mansions and boats and pretty much everything a rich person would want. Many of the Russian protesters were shouting about ducks, since one agency chief even has a house for his ducks. They're serious. They were also shouting, Russia without Putin, and Russia will be free. This was an especially brave thing for these Russian citizens to do, since anti-government protests were outlawed by Putin after the last big uprising against him in 2011 and 2012. Among the hundreds detained and arrested, Putin's biggest critic and the leader of the demonstrations and the citizens' anti-corruption movement. So far here in the U.S., meanwhile, Putin's getting exactly the things he'd hoped. The same cannot be said for Donald Trump. This past weekend in this country, people took to the streets in rallies across the nation to show their support for Trump, which would have been good news for Trump had it not been for the violence and arrests because anti-Trump citizens showed up to counter-protest. Four people were arrested after some punches were exchanged at the Make America Great Again rally in Huntington Beach, California. It didn't get quite so heated at the other pro-Trump demonstrations across the country. Some of the rallies had given their demonstrations a protective coating by saying the demonstrations were also to show support for our veterans and first responders. The Trump supporters may have outnumbered the counter-demonstrators in those weekend protests, but they are a nationwide minority. The latest Gallup poll shows Trump ticking downward, now to a 35% approval rating. Other polls agree. The disapproves outnumber the approves and all agree on the trend. No president has ever fallen this low this soon. It's lower than Obama ever fell, lower than Clinton, even lower than Gerald Ford. Trump came into office with a 45% approval rating, now just 70 days, 59% of Americans disapprove of Trump. 59%. Trump has spent about one-third of his 70 days, by the way, at one Trump property or another, either in D.C. or Virginia or one of the three in Florida, except for D.C., they're all golfing clubs. 21 days at those properties during his first 66 days in office, a third of his time as president. Quoting Trump during the campaign, I'm going to be working for you. I'm not going to have time to play golf. As he criticized Obama for playing golf at a much less feverish pace. This hypocrisy is not as important, of course, as the Russia connection or the radical changes Trump's making in our government. The golf promise is just another lie. The Government Accountability Office says it will now review the cost of sending Trump to his Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida on most of those weekends. Trump is often there where potential Trump organization clients can perhaps rub elbows with ostensibly the most powerful man in the country. None of them get background checked, by the way. And it's expensive for taxpayers who have to cover the cost of transporting, housing, and feeding 
Secret Service agents, not to mention the extra Coast Guard duty. So maybe the Gulf is a big deal after all. As for collusion with Russia, a new poll by public policy polling shows 53% of Americans think Trump should resign as president if those Russia allegations prove to be true. Despite its clear unpopularity and distraction by the Russia investigation, the Trump administration is forging ahead to turn back the clock. Tuesday was an especially busy day. With the stroke of a pen, Trump made it easier for states to hide the schools that perform poorly. In fact, Trump's order erased the system for measuring any school's performance. He also killed the rating system for teacher training programs, all rules that existed thanks to orders by President Obama. Trump justifies rolling back these education rules, calling them an additional layer of bureaucracy and discouraging of freedom in our schools. But education may not matter after what Trump did Tuesday to clean air, clean water, and the survival of the planet. A Trump executive order has turned back the clock on climate policies ordered by President Obama. This is not just bad news for environmentalists. Trump's order threatens promises we made to the world at the Paris Climate Accord of 2015, part of an agreement with nearly 200 other countries. Trump's policy is any jobs at any cost and promoting the industry behind climate change denial, the fossil fuel industry. Trump wants to promote what he apparently believes is the energy of the future, carbon-producing coal, to put the coal miners back to work, underground at their dangerous and outdated jobs. But those jobs won't really be there because mines are continuing to shut down with or without Trump's order. Mines can no longer compete with natural gas. That industry's growth has cut into coal profits as electric plants have turned from coal to gas. That's been happening not just under Obama, but for 15 years under presidents from both parties. At best, the Trump policy would allow for maybe 70,000 jobs compared to the 650,000 jobs available to the renewable energy industry. Trump also says his order is another step toward energy independence, but the U.S. doesn't import any coal. We already produce all that we need right here in America. So aside from making little sense... Trump's order is a blow to the alternative energy business, which will go forward, but without much help from this administration. And it's a message to the world that we might not keep the promises we made in Paris. And it's yet another Trump policy that faces serious challenges in court. The courts in this administration will stay very busy. Trump and the Republicans are, in spite of the Russian spy novel series of scandals, forging ahead with their agenda. The House and Senate have now passed, and Trump's expected to sign a law that allows your Internet service provider to sell your web browsing history to advertisers. If you're already creeped out by the ads that follow you around the web about being targeted after you look at a product but don't actually buy it, it's about to get creepier. Although selling your browsing history was banned among Internet providers to protect your privacy, Republicans say you'll be fine. One Republican congresswoman from Tennessee claims that removing the law to protect your privacy will now actually enhance your privacy. She didn't explain the logic. Privacy advocates say the law is a tremendous setback and they plan to fight it in court. Yet another Trump-publican policy, yet another court fight. Despite the dark shadow of Russia hanging over it, the Trump administration forges ahead with its agenda. Attorney General Jeff Sessions 
says state, county, and city governments who declare themselves sanctuaries for undocumented immigrants will now lose their federal funding. They make our nation less safe, says Sessions, by putting dangerous criminals back on the streets. Crime analysis shows American citizens commit more crimes per capita than do undocumented immigrants. Sessions' order now forces sanctuary cities not only to give up that status, but to become informants for federal immigration officials. Those cities are now forced to pick up the phone and call immigration when they take an undocumented person into custody. 140 jurisdictions, including more than three dozen cities, are now facing losing their federal funding if they don't buckle. That funding totals well over $4 billion. Some of those jurisdictions have said they'll take the hit if they have to to stand by their beliefs. The mayor of Los Angeles says he will not allow the federal deputization of his officers. Chicago is also standing firm. So are Seattle and San Francisco. The state of Maryland's even considering becoming a sanctuary state. The Republican mayor of Miami says he will allow his officers to be deputized by Trump's feds. Other places strapped for cash will have to fold, but many will fight it. Guess where? (laughs) In court. Human rights groups say the U.S.-led coalition against ISIS is failing to prevent civilian casualties. The number of civilians killed since Trump took office has risen sharply, although officials insist they have not modified the rules of engagement As many as 150 people were killed in a coalition airstrike in West Mosul last week. The coalition has expressed its regret and U.S. Central Command is investigating. The coalition, however, also blames many of the civilian deaths on ISIS for using innocent citizens as human shields. But to the families of those killed, the U.S. is not an ally but a force to be feared when it would help the ISIS fight more to be winning their hearts and minds. Human rights groups say we can achieve that by being more careful and more selective about where and when we strike. Trump has made clear his intention to defeat ISIS and to do it quickly. The anti-abortion movement in this country got new fuel with the release three years ago of a secretly recorded and heavily edited video that seemed to suggest Planned Parenthood was willing to sell fetal tissue. From one red state to another, there were efforts to prosecute Planned Parenthood for this, but The charge was never proved, and the video itself was discredited. A grand jury cleared Planned Parenthood and indicted the secret videographers for tampering with government records, but those charges were ultimately also dropped. The video had been heavily edited, and the charges it implied proved to be equally bogus. The anti-abortion movement's new fuel had, from a factual standpoint, dried up. But many abortion foes continued to cling to that discredited video as proof that Planned Parenthood is evil, even though abortion makes up less than 3% of its work. And because these secret recordings were made in California, and because California law prohibits recording someone without their knowledge and permission, the two people who used phony names to get that video have now been charged with 15 felonies, and warrants have been issued for their arrests. They may have beaten the tampering with government records rap, but they could go down for this. Connecting our brains to computers. Game over for GameStop and what Penn State has learned in the third and final segment up next. A smooth, clean shave from a blade that glides like butter and comes right to my door at half the cost of the big name brands. 
That's what I love about shaving with products from Harry's. From the hefty balanced handle that fits your hand to the precision engineered five blade cartridges that come with a lubricating strip, a trimmer blade, and a travel cover to Harry's rich lathering shave gel that smells so great. It all started when Harry's founders Jeff and Andy got tired of getting ripped off on blade prices. One big company in particular jacked their prices again and again and made a fortune while we all spent a fortune. Jeff and Andy quickly discovered the problem, the middlemen. So they bought their own factory, one that's been making blades for over 100 years so they can ship top-quality blades straight to you. The result? Quality products at your door for half of what you've been paying. That's the Harry story. Be part of it. Go to harrys.com right now to try their new shave set free of charge. All you pay is the shipping. Sign up at harrys.com slash R-E-L-M. And because you are a loyal listener to this newscast, Harry's will even throw in a free post-shave balm, but only if you log on to harrys.com slash R-E-L-M. If Penn State or any other institution of higher learning has learned anything from the Jerry Sandusky sex abuse scandal, it is... If you see something, say something. A former Penn State president was convicted on child endangerment charges for not reporting what he knew about Sandusky and the boy in the shower. University presidents across the country obviously sat up and took notice at this sentence. No more cover-ups, not even for those profitable athletic programs. Former Penn State President Graham Spanier beat a couple of felony conspiracy charges but still faces up to five years in prison and a $10,000 fine for child endangerment. It isn't clear yet, however, whether he will actually serve that time. But Spanier had to watch his number two man, the school's senior vice president, and others testify against him. And that vice president and the school's then-athletic director have now pleaded guilty to the same child endangerment charge that has their boss facing prison time. And today's university officials at Penn State and other college administrators around the country we're watching. Elon Musk keeps pushing the limits of science, and it's all the rest of us can do to keep up. The billionaire behind SpaceX, Tesla, and much more is involved now in more closely tying computers to the human brain. In this technology, small electrodes are implanted into the brain to, for example, treat Parkinson's disease. But that's already being done. Now they're looking at epilepsy and depression and more. And if all this seems breathtaking, consider this. The U.S. Defense Department has set aside $60 million to also help develop this technology. What would the Defense Department want with technology that interfaces computers with the human br Technology moves quickly. Comprehending it and knowing how to feel about it, not so much. Consumer updates. Amazon says it will start collecting sales tax in all of the states that have sales tax. Amazon and other online retailers had already been collecting taxes in 41 states, so this new move now just includes Hawaii, Idaho, Maine, and New Mexico. Brick-and-mortar stores had argued that online stores had a business advantage not collecting sales tax, while brick-and-mortar stores were forced to do so. Game over for GameStop? The video game retailer says it's closing 150 of its stores as walk-in business continues to fade. Sales are down 20 to 30 percent. The kinds of games once considered blockbusters are fizzling. The news caused GameStop stock to lose 12 percent of its value, and now GameStop's putting a full stop on its profit and loss reports. 
The company says it doesn't want investors to be distracted by those numbers and to focus instead on the long term. Good luck with that. And Uber has suspended its testing of self-driving cars after one of the betas crashed in Arizona last week. The modified Volvo SUV failed to yield to oncoming traffic while making a left turn and was struck by another vehicle. That flipped Uber's SUV, which then hit a third vehicle. Luckily, no one was seriously hurt. Police have ruled the crash was not the fault of the self-driver, but Uber is investigating. And Uber has stopped the on-road test program for now to be on the safe side. Despite calls for boycott by conservative groups for being gay propaganda, Disney's live-action Beauty and the Beast was number one for the second straight weekend, earning an additional $88 million. Power Rangers was second with nearly $41 million in ticket sales, even at less than half of what Beauty made. $41 million is a number that Hollywood likes. So what'll happen this weekend? For theaters and showtimes, previews, tickets, and so much more, and to support this free news, please use and bookmark the Fandango link you'll find at buzzburbank.com. Fahrenheit 451, the temperature at which books combust into flames. Over recent decades, most of us have learned that book burning is bad. Leave it to a Florida man to underscore that. A man burning his old paperbacks in his backyard just west of Jacksonville accidentally started a fire that spread through 400 acres. On its path, the fire destroyed at least 10 homes. It was a stupid move on multiple levels. Most of Florida, like most of the country, is suffering from drought. And it was windy that day, causing the flaming pages to blow away into the dry brush. And there are places to take donations of old books. Our boy won't be buying any new books soon since officials say he will be billed for the man hours and equipment used in containing that fire. He will be liable for those homes and anything that got destroyed by his fire. And he's been notified he's in violation of the law, so he may face fines and or jail time as well because he wanted to burn some books. Is that a banana in your shipment or are you just smuggling cocaine? Officials in Spain say they intercepted an incoming shipment of fake bananas containing nearly five dozen packages of cocaine, 22 pounds of cocaine. The fake bananas were stuffed inside a much bigger shipment of real bananas. This actually happened back in November, but we're hearing about it now because Spanish officials have finally made a couple of arrests. On Daytona Beach in Thank You, Florida, a man taking his morning walk along the water found a bale of marijuana, such as the ones that do wash up occasionally. This one was different, however. It was rolled like a 10-foot joint, and the man says he called police when he noticed that one end was red. It seemed as though it was bloody. We've gotten no explanation for the red, but officials say, judging from the barnacle growth, the big joint was in the water about two weeks. Beach safety officials say they'll turn the super spliff over to Beach Patrol. If the feds don't want it, officers say it will be packaged for destruction. But U.S. custom officials may have been preoccupied with 40,000 condoms. With the help of the Border Patrol, Immigration, Homeland Security, and the FDA, officials have seized a shipment of counterfeit condoms just before they were to be shipped to Puerto Rico. Officials say the condoms lack quality control and could cause 
long-term health conditions. You're welcome, Puerto Rico. Border guards in Ukraine, meanwhile, found a newborn lion cub hidden inside a shipment of parrots. And finally, dumb criminals rarely get our attention anymore since they seem to vastly outnumber the clever ones. Unless they come up with something new... In Arizona, a would-be burglar tried to jump a fence to make his getaway when he got caught on the fence. His pants got caught on the top of the fence as he continued to fall toward his destination. That's how he was caught, with his pants down. Or in this case, with his pants up. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thank you for listening. And thanks for supporting the shows and sponsors at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank News and Comments. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.